Macy's Backstage has everything to help you get a fresh start, including active gear from brands you love. Reebok, Fila, K-Swiss, and more. Hurry in and find the best booties of the season, starting at $19.99. And pamper yourself. Bring the spa home with fragrant candles, aroma diffusers, even salt lamps, starting at just $5.99. Best of all, look for incredible markdowns in every department all month long. Macy's Backstage. Off price, on trend, arriving daily. Find your store at Macy'sBackstage.com. Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends, one of the most informative and entertaining talk radio shows today. From social issues and trending topics to sex and relationships, no subject is ever taboo. So join us now for Real People, Real Topics, Real Talk. Let's face it. Happy Sunday, everyone. It's September the 20th, 2015, and you're tuned in to Let's Face It. We're your host, Alicia Brown. And Will Strayhorn. Hi, Will, how are you this weekend, this Sunday? Doing, well. Doing pretty good. Pretty good, pretty okay, good. Okay, now. Okay, yeah, now. Yeah. You know, how I feel you? like there's... I can't complain. I, I just feel like we've had so much stuff going on this weekend. Or yeah. really this week. I think we've really had jam-packed weeks. Yes. So, as always, I'm going to ask, what was so exciting about your weekend? Um, I'm going to bypass a lot of it and just get to the point that I was able to get back in the groove of writing in my book. I've written probably yeah. three chapters so far this weekend. And just prior to coming on to the show, I was I was putting off writing because um, I was putting off logging in to the system because I was I was in the middle of a chapter and it was just flowing. I didn't want to stop it. Yes. But as soon as the show is over, I'm going to get back to it. Yeah, it's been a good weekend for that. What about oh, yourself? I, I know you had a well. lot going on. Then you do something. You, you did something that we're going to talk about a little bit later on. What you have next week? But what did you do this past yeah. weekend? You know. You know how we do. We're always involved in a lot of different things. But I think what is so wonderful to me is when you have that opportunity to give back, and Mm -hmm. especially when you can give back according to your purpose and according to your platform. Um, So, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We talk about that. There's a word again. There's a word. Purpose, 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 purpose. So important. And, you yeah. know, there's a wonderful, you know, for those in the Virginia area, there's a wonderful program um, called Building Our Success Strategies. And it's actually a free seven-month program um, for young girls aged 10 to 17. Um, right now it's primarily in the Newport News area on the peninsula of Virginia. But anyway, I had the opportunity to be a guest speaker. Um, I will also serve as a mentor for that program. But, okay. you know, I, I met a young lady and we shared the same testimony. Actually, certain things that happened in our childhood just mimic each other, even though she had other areas that were far worse. And it always breaks my heart when you're sharing your testimony, you're trying to encourage youth, and that youth starts crying. And you mm. go to hug them, and they just oh collapse in your arms. Yeah. You know, on one hand, it, it makes you feel good that, you know, your purpose is, is having an impact. But it breaks mm-hmm. your heart that this is one more child, yeah. one more family, one more story. 
And, you know, one of the things that always breaks me, and we've done shows about it before, is mm-hmm. people really, they overlook the voice of children and why suicide is such a problem with our youth. And, you know, when you hear of young children that have been through that and they've committed suicide, it really, really breaks your heart. But you know what? I said all of that. You know how I am. I I get everybody crying and emotional. But there was one cool thing about this week. So i got to get us back before we all bust out in tears. One cool assignment about this week. Well, actually, there was a few cool assignments, but I had the opportunity to speak to a fabulous person. Um, And, you know, we always talk about for media personalities, this is like one of the blessings of our job. You meet some great people and have the opportunity to spotlight some great people. Danielle Truitt, who is described as the triple threat herself, actor, dancer, singer, has this wonderful play. And I'm not going to tell you all that I already saw it, but I did already see it. What? Yes. You know, it's going to premiere in North, I'm sorry, it's going to premiere in New York City on Wednesday, September 26th. But I had the opportunity to interview this fabulous person with this fabulous play. And you know what? I'm going to let her introduce that herself. So welcome, Danielle. Hi. How are you this evening? Well, I know it's coming down to the wire. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, my house is a catastrophe right now <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, Three Black Girl Blues, which is the name of the play, opened up to rave reviews Was extremely successful in Los Angeles and Sacramento And mm-hmm. I just found out a few days ago, it is sold out Yes, it sold out yesterday, but they added a performance at 7.30 on the same day. So oh. I'm, I'll do one at 7.30, and then I'll do another one at 9. But the 9 o'clock one is sold out, but there's still there's tickets available for the 7.30. Praise so. the Lord. Praise yeah. the Lord. Because I, I hate to tell the listeners, I'm sorry. We tried to tell you earlier in the week, you should have got your ticket. Okay, so there's going to be some more tickets. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> So what what is this play all about? Man, um, well, three in particular, like I like I told you when we talked last week, um, Black Girl Blues is a series, and so it's a series of three one woman shows. And the first play in the series, Black Girl Blues, is three, and it's basically about three women, um, Keisha, Jill, and Stephanie who uh, are friends, have been friends since childhood, and they all come to a certain point in their life where they kind of have to deal with their demons and face uh, some of the things that they've been uh, avoiding in their lives. And so it's just a really awesome um, story um, and journey through the, the three women's lives and just seeing, like, they have ugly skeletons in their closet that they've been trying to, like, keep there, but... Um, it just comes to a point where a lot of stuff is revealed um, about their lives and the betrayal that they have um, shown to one another um, and just, you know, their journey and where they're going to go from there. Wow. Hi, Danielle. This is Will Strayhorn. How are you doing? I'm good. Nice to meet That's you. Good. You as well. I've heard a lot about you from Alicia. She's been your biggest cheerleader ever since um, we've been trying to get you on the show. Well, I have a question. So is this going to be another one of those plays where as a black man I go through and you guys are beating up on us? 
or is this something that I can go and see, or you know, or should I just stay home? Is this something just for the black women? What's crazy, man? Um, no, it doesn't beat up on the black man. My dad is very big about like not going to stuff where it's like, you know, everything is like putting the black man down and stuff. Right. He loves this show, and he is coming all the way from Sacramento, and then my mom are coming to see the show. Okay. um, So, yes, I will say this. There is a black man in the show that um, done some very horrible things. (laughs) Okay. 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 Um, Definitely has done some horrible things, but... But um, it doesn't focus on it doesn't focus on him. You know, the, the story is so much so much about the women and the horrible things they have done that right. you you never see him in the play anyway. He's just talked about, you know. Um, but when when you compare it to the things that these three women have done, like right. <laughs> they're, it's, they're all in a boat, you know. Okay. It, you know, okay. It's definitely not, we're not putting the black man down. We love the black man. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you can still go, Will. You can still get your All right. tickets. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you you will. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, after viewing the play and then speaking with you, Danielle, the three main characters seem so different, but really yeah. – you know, they speak to every person. I mean, it, it you know, I know it says three black girl blues, but it, this was something that wasn't about being black. Mm-hmm. You know, in some ways, it, it, it's not even about being a woman, even though these are issues mm-hmm. the women are having. Right. It, it just really spoke to everybody. But, you know, right. you shared an interesting fact. Um, the playwright and creator of the play, Anthony Dewan, he sent you this masterpiece, and initially mm-hmm. you didn't like it. No. Um, can, <laughs> can you tell us briefly about that transformation that took place in your life that made you sort of take a second look at this? Yeah, sure. So when he first sent it to me, I read the first character who was teaching us. He's very urban, you know, ghetto, for lack of better. Uh, and um, she, um, she uh, is ghetto, and I was like, I am not. Playing this ghetto good rat chick, like, like who, who is gonna want to listen to this woman? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what is she talking about? I, I, I didn't even finish it. I just didn't respond, you know. And so then uh, I got pregnant with my first child, and just some things. God just it did some different things in my life, and you know, I went through childbirth, and I believe that will change any woman um, and any person perspective on life when you have, you know, went through having a child. And, you know, my experience with my first child was very traumatic, you know. So after coming through that, um, I just started to think about myself differently and think about life differently. And I read one day I was like, you know, I want to I wanna continue working on my one woman show. So I'm like, well, let me just read the script again, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I read it, I was just not in a happy place in my own life. And so I was reading Keisha, and I was putting a lot of judgment on Keisha, which is probably the judgment I was putting on myself because I wasn't happy with who I was, you know. Mm-hmm. And so after having my child and stuff, I, I read it again, and I was just in a different place, and I actually read the entire script. And when I got to the end of Keisha, 
I was like, oh, my God. Like, I hadn't even got to the second character yet. Uh-huh. And so I kept reading, reading, and by the end of the, I was crying, just reading the script. Like, you know, and so I called him, and I was like, we're doing this play. And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, three. He's like, what about it? I'm like, we're doing it. <laughs> like, he must have already got the stage. Like, he's like, oh, okay, we're doing it, you know. And so <laughs> I just I was telling uh, I was telling her the other day when we were talking that you know when it comes to acting it's important that we don't judge our characters that we're playing because if we judge them then we can't be truthful when we portray them you know and so Keisha right. all these women do things that I would never do but they also do things that I have done <laughs> as well you know <laughs> and so I just look at I love who they are I love the laws that they have. And I know that I don't put nothing past anybody because I don't put nothing past myself. And I've done certain things that I'm not proud of, you know. And so I just, I I consider it an honor to play these women and to tell this story and just say, like, we're all the same. We all mess up. We all fail, you know. Mm-hmm. We all, But we all have an opportunity to do things different if we really want to, you know. Yeah. And that's why. That's why I think that it transcends race and color because everybody can connect to that thing. Yes. Also, Danielle, earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that it was the beginning of a series, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you also have other production plans in the works. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Sure. Um, So, so we have titles for the next two shows, but we haven't written the script. We're working on the second one called Casually Gorgeous. And, um, I mean, the overall point of that, of that, um, of that story or that play is just to, it's to talk about female beauty, being the embracing of what real beauty is, um, and, and how beauty is portrayed in the media. I mean, for black women, period, we have always been the brunt of, you know, just feeling like we're not as beautiful as the next race right. or not desired uh-huh. as other races. And, you know, they, they take, you know, Kylie Jenner and Kim Kardashian and Iggy Azalea, you know, it, they're celebrated for their big butts and their big lips, you know. But the right. black women, have had, a lot of us have had these features since the beginning of time. We are not celebrated at all for these things. We're considered fat and ugly, you know. And I, mm-hmm. I'm a black woman with big lips. I, you know, I, I inherited nice, full, beautiful mama, and I went through my own, you know, went through my own thing being teased about it and all that kind of stuff. So, Cavalry Gorgeous is about uh, female beauty, and of course, I'm a black woman, so it's definitely going to come from that 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 way, but female beauty and love, you know. And then the third the third one is going to be a musical. I'm also I also sing. So oh. the third one is like a musical yeah. show, so it's going to be called Jody and uh-huh. it's basically it's like an, kind of going to be uh, what we've talked about is it being like an, an homage to like Whitney Houston and people like that who struggled in their lives. Yeah. And Die too soon because of the struggles of, of fame and you know mm-hmm. drug addiction and like what fame really does to you. Like everybody wants to be famous, everybody thinks it's like great, but it's it's yeah. hard, you know. And it, mm-hmm. it, just because you're famous doesn't mean you don't have demons and things that you're struggling yeah. with. You know? Right. 
So in addition to being entertained, you're going to walk away with some with a lesson. You're going to, you're oh, going to be teaching self-esteem and you know how to take yeah. pride in your heritage as well. That's good. Yeah. That's really and good. the way it's done is going to be clever and witty, and it's not going to be uh-huh. like, hey, now this is the point in the script or in the show where right. we're going to teach you a lesson. Like, you know, right. it's, <laughs> it's up to you to get what you need to get from it, and we're not here to tell you what you should get from it, you know. Right. So we'll see, but, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Perfect. And I will say that that was the cool thing about the play. Because, you know, you, you go to plays, and, and it does feel that way. Okay, now this is seen at blah, 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 blah. Okay, here's the point that's coming. But it was just like you would get so engrossed in the character. Mm-hmm. And it's like by the time you would switch to the next person, it's like, but wait a minute. What about? <laughs> so it was like, you know, it, it wasn't scripted. It, it was just so yeah. enjoyable, so right. enriching. It was just like, Wow. And then it's like when it's all finished, you know, you just sit there like, well, what about, well, did they, and did she, well, what, you know, it, so I love right. it. I mean, I loved it. I want to see Alicia, all the series. stop throwing in that you already saw it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm I catch sorry. that. I'm catching that. I'm catching that. But, but, here, but here, what you heard what she said. They added an additional show. So oh, okay. you still have a chance, 7 o'clock, Wednesday, okay. New York. You can work it out. Okay. You right. can work that out. I'll chill out. I'll chill out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Danielle, thank you so much. I mean, we were honored to have you on the show. Yeah. Was honored to do the interview with you. And you know what? Just just keep us posted because we really mm-hmm. want to know about the other series coming up because we want to be able to see it. And I know our um, listeners will too. <laughs> I really appreciate you guys. You know. It's hard for us artists that are kind of just coming up. You know, we don't have huge names, and you know, we're not known. And sometimes, you know, we don't get we don't get the love uh, that that we you know want to get. You know, for our projects and stuff. And so, I just really appreciate you guys uh, having me on oh, today. Well, a lot you're to welcome. Me. <laughs> you're welcome. Well, Thanks for coming we'll have on. To do it again. <laughs> exactly. Right? For the next yeah. one. For the next one. For the next yeah. series. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes. thank you guys so much. Well, nothing but continued blessings and all of the success on Wednesday night. Thank you so much. Thank you. All righty. Have, Have a, a good evening. night. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Really? Uh, She's really you, cool. You know, you, you, you wanted to go to New York, so so there you go. I mean, that could you know, be your yeah. Yeah. You know. But, you know, we also have to thank Orange Loft PR of Los Angeles, who is the publicist for Danielle Truitt, and also some other mainstream artists, you know, like Mr. Carrie Too Smooth Marshall Jr., who I also had the pleasure of interviewing this week, who leaves tomorrow for Dubai with Jason Derulo. Awesome, awesome guy. Awesome guy. Awesome. So you have a workshop coming up next week. Correct. You know what? You are you are correct. And here's another thing. You're doing a lot. You're doing a whole bunch. I Let know. Me just interject. See? You're doing a whole bunch. That's why I'm so tired. But but you know, it's it's back to that thing you and I always discuss about purpose. <laughs> That's why we mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we go back to October, that was that twenty year dream actually came to fruition where I published my first book. 
And you know from there, the book, the radio show, all of these awesome things. But what I was finding is people kept coming to me talking about, well, how did you write the book? I always wanted to write a book, blah, 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 blah. So, of course, you know, the LLC took off from there. But I'm doing an instructional workshop on how to make writing easy. Um, You probably will attest to with your book. Um, You know, people just think of chapters. People think of, I have to do it this way. And a lot of times when it's not just flowing from your heart, flowing from your spirit, sometimes it seems really hard to put it together. And I really think that's the way people set it up when they start writing. You know, I won't say there's a formula, but there's some tricks, there's some techniques that, you know, you need to write from the spirit. And I am, you know, a true believer. I, I really believe in this season. Everybody has at least one book they should publish. I don't care if that book is because of your business and you want to, you know, increase your platform, increase your audience, or maybe there's something you're really passionate about. Um, a lot of the people I work with, there's a lot of things that you have survived. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people you need to, to speak to and you need to reach um, for that and encourage and inspire. So I believe every person has a book in them. So next Saturday, 10 to noon, I will be at Strayer University in Newport News. Um, you can go to thejoyguru.net, which will have on the Save the Date page the Eventbrite link to that instructional class. You know, awesome. I forget some of the things I'm doing, Will. You're <laughs> like doing a lot. Said, I'm doing a lot. You know, yeah, yeah I, I forget. But it's all good. It's all good. That's good. I don't know how well, many you know books what? I, I have times to crank out. <laughs> are you? Are do you write several books at a time? Because I'm writing three at the same time, and whatever you know, hits me is the book that I go to. See, I used to write. I have like tons of books somewhere. You know, uh-huh. partially finished, whatever. The past two books I wrote, it was just basically for my spirit. They came out, so they were written individually. But now you know because we also write for Matt, you know, Super Fabulous, excuse me, Supernaturally Fabulous magazine. I cannot mix up that title. <laughs> That's how I met Danielle Truitt. Um, I write for magazines. I, I, you know, do writing for a lot of other things. I even ghost write for other people. But right now, I really haven't had a lot of time to write for me. Yeah. So you're writing for you this time. Uh, not really. <laughs> I'll say this. In this season, it has really been about stirring up the gifts in other people and helping them write their story. I'm really not writing, like, my books or anything mm-hmm. at present. But we, we never know. There may be another book. Coming. Now, is this the workshop that I asked you to remind me of? Yes, it is. Have you reminded me yet? I thought I did. I, I couldn't remember. Did I? No. Well, Will Baby is this Saturday from 10 to noon on September the 26th in Newport News, Estrella University. (laughs) (laughs) See, I just reminded you. Won't God do it? Mm. You You know, sometimes you and I, because, you know, you and I, we talk on the phone all the time. Either we're talking on the phone or we're texting. Um, Sometimes we get so engrossed that we forget that we do have co-hosts. And I would be a little remiss if I didn't invite them in on our conversation and at least briefly ask them. Yeah, and at least ask them how was their weekend. So I want to introduce our wonderful co-host to the show. How are you, ladies and gents, doing? Doing well, doing well. Doing pretty good. Pretty good, pretty good. (laughs) Yes. So how was your weekend, Shay? 
My weekend was great. I just started playing flag football, so this is my second game. Yes. I can't say an exercise, but I love sports. So my competitive spirit comes out, and I get all excited. So I think I caught the ball, which was exciting because I get Did they come pull your flag off? I remember that from school. My flag kept falling off by itself. It was the worst (laughs) thing ever. And, like, you're down (laughs) if your flag just falls off. But it was fun. I was arguing what? with a teenager who thinks she's grown, you know. Uh-oh. You, That's her job. You know, I, start, I started early, so, you know, my daughter is about to be 14 next week, but she thinks she's 22. And uh, whenever we get back to school, you see other kids doing grown folk things. Uh, and so you want to do grown folk things, and you forgot who your mama was. So I spent the weekend uh, re-educating her on what I'm not going to have. So that was uh, kind of okay. Well, well, as long as she doesn't rebut what she's not going to have, uh, okay. <laughs> probably be good, right? Well, well, well then I'm going to be on the news because I'm <laughs> okay. not about that. Well, life. are you through? <laughs> now this is what I'm not going to have. <laughs> you coming at me like that? I'm going to be on yeah. the news. Y'all okay. going to need some bail money if she come oh, at me okay. like that. Uh-uh. <laughs> but that was my weekend and a nutshell. And Mr. Nathan Whitfield, how are you? Well, I'm glad we got to say something. You know, <laughs> I'm sitting over here, and at first I said, "Well, are you I in know jail? You sound like you're in jail." No, I'm in not jail? in jail. I'm out. I'm out. Oh. I'm out, and I'm just <laughs> Ooh, trying to figure out. He fell free. Because I'm all dressed up, with, and I'm trying to figure out. I said, "Well, well, are they going to let us speak or not?" I didn't understand <laughs> what was going on. I just you know, think I just, it's like I come on first, Nate. I'm sorry. I blinked my eyes and we was in an interview. I didn't. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I need you to stay present. You got to roll with it. I don't know roll about the it. other co-hosts. I don't know about the other co-hosts, but I had something to say. And I mean, I, I don't understand how she got on and she had something to say before I had something to say. Oh Lord. Well, well, well welcome to the show, Nathan. We appreciate Thank you, you so being much. Here. Thank you so much. <laughs> Love you, Nathan. And how was Love your weekend? You. <laughs> oh, I had a. It was uneve- uneventful. I did everything oh. that I wanted to do in bed. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. Oh, gee, this is okay. We have families <laughs> that tune in. You realize that's that, right? He well, didn't say all of that. Now you take it. Exactly. Left. See, that's what I'm saying. Oh. See. <laughs> Okay. That's why my friends are Christian friends because they oh, are. Yeah. 
when you when you have these worldly friends, that's where they mind go. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Hey, you, Lord, you're right. Mercy. You're right. Lord's still working on me. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia, baby, what's the show about tonight? Yeah, let's talk about the show tonight. The show is very interesting. Um, we are going to have Laura Johnston Cole, who is actually a survivor of the occult. Uh, we talked about it last week with Jonestown. Um, so she's going to come and talk to us about some of the signs that were missed, um, just how it was um, going through that experience. Uh, we'll also have local gospel recording artist, Pile Price, um, who's going to share about how when he was climbing the musical ladder of success, there were some things he witnessed that made him walk away in his search for God. And now that he has found God, he is back in the musical industry, but in a different way, and on a journey to inspire and transform the world. And then we are going to have a very special segment by our co-host, Shay Malone, who's going to debut her segment, Yes, Authentically You. That's awesome. So we're ready for that. Um, So on that note, we're going to take a quick commercial, but the phone lines are open. Um, one seven one three nine five five zero seven nine three, and you're listening to Let's Face It. We'll be right back. Sweet as music, powerful as thunder, and so my fellow Americans, cheerful as laughter. <laughs> but for millions of people, it can also be a sign of COPD. This serious lung disease can make it so hard to breathe, you often can't catch a breath or finish a sentence, let alone carry a tune. And many who have COPD don't even know it. That's where your voice comes in. If you think you or a loved one have symptoms, talk with a health care provider. Early diagnosis can mean better treatments and quality of life. Join us in raising our voices. For the millions of COPD who can't, learn more, breathe better at NIH.gov. born from 1945 to 1965? People born during these years are five times more likely to have hepatitis C, but most people don't know they are infected. So even if you try to eat right, exercise, and take care of yourself, you can still have hepatitis C, a serious liver disease that often has no symptoms. In fact, people can live with hepatitis C for decades without feeling or looking sick. But over time, Hepatitis C can cause serious health problems, including liver damage, liver failure, or even liver cancer. Getting tested is the only way to know if you're infected with hepatitis C. That's why the CDC recommends everyone born from 1945 to 1965 get a blood test for hepatitis C. Treatments are available that can cure this disease. So talk to your doctor about getting tested. It could save your life. A message from the CDC. I'm a firefighter, a teacher, 
I'm a farmer. I'm a barber. A waitress. A mom. We're all part of your community. Every day we move in and out of each other's busy lives. It's easy to take for granted all the little moments that make up our every day. Some are good, others not so much. But that's life. It's when you experience a moment of uncertainty, something or someone's behavior that doesn't seem quite right. These are the moments to take a pause. Because if something doesn't feel right, it's probably not. It's not about paranoia. Or being afraid. It's about standing up and protecting our communities. One detail at a time. Because a lot of little details can become a pattern. We. 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 We trust our instincts. Just like you should. Because only you know what's not supposed to be in your everyday. So protect your everyday. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. Not on my watch, our military service members say, as they volunteer to serve. Not on my watch, they say, as they leave their families behind to keep the rest of ours safe. As they move out, stand firm, and take fire. So not on our watch, we say, to the severely ill or injured veterans who can't get the care they deserve, the therapists they need to walk again, the treatment they need to talk again, the lifetime of day-to-day help they need to live full and independent lives. When there's no more government funding, or a nursing home seems like the only option, or everyone says there's no hope for recovery, we won't leave one warrior behind. Not on our watch. Find out how you can do your part at findwwp.org. To fasten your seatbelt, insert the metal fittings and tighten the strap. And in the event of a sudden rush of cabin generosity, your seat cushion can be used to grant wishes. How? By donating your airline miles to Make-A-Wish. Why? Because your frequent flyer account is stuffed as fat as your carry-on. And just like the workout clothes you packed, you're never going to use all those miles. But if you donate some to Make-A-Wish, you can give wishes wings and put sick kids right where you're sitting now. No, not in seats to Newark. Seats to fun family places, breaks from treatments and doctor visits and hospital stays, wishes to feel better, and lots of times, get better too. Push your call buttons if you feel me. Alrighty then, well, once we reach cruising altitude, you can use your electronic device to make your pledge of miles or money to make a wish at givewisheswings.org. That's givewisheswings.org. And then move about the cabin with pride, knowing that you've made a huge difference in the life of a -A make-a-wish kid. Because wishes work wonders, people. Welcome back to Let's Face It. We are your host, and we are back in the studio. Mr. Nathan Whitfield, he was entertaining us all week with some jokes that he came up with. Nate, I know you had told me one of them. What was it? Do you recall what it was that you had asked me? And I said you should ask the other co-hosts and see if they figure it out. Nate. I'm trying to figure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're trying to do. <laughs> it was something about it was. You asked, you. Me about the, you asked me about the um, 
Y'all funny. But how do you spell <laughs> something? And then Melissa, no, I can't do that. Ma- Melissa, why? Melissa, oh, did, did Melissa. I've already it? sent that. I already I sent that to them. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't understand why well, I didn't I get. Said, I know I'm not slow. I know I'm not slow. You I are slow. Make sure. I just want to make sure some other people didn't get it as well. Yeah, they got it. Okay. They got it. So, um, I, see, you done you done caught me off guard. He to mess you up. Yeah. Well, uh, I can't say this one thing. Speaking of messing up, Liz, you got me in trouble. <laughs> Wait, how did I get you in trouble? Liz's segment got me in trouble. Um, I had a couple feedbacks, a little, you know, <laughs> some feedback, some remarks, and um. People, people, you know, your 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 segment on the download, they ain't had no problem with that. They didn't have problem with what people said about whatever. But the one question I kept asking, or I kept being asked is, well, you didn't say anything when she was talking about that minister. That minister that was saying that his anointing didn't affect anything about him being on the download. Oh, and, you know, Lord. you should have said something because, you know, you, and then you got the whole side that, well, it's not right for you to be preaching in the church if you're on the download. And you should have said, so that I was just going to tell you, that, that little comment got me in trouble because they said <laughs> I, I didn't say. Empty and what did you say? I was about to and say, what I need to know your response. <laughs> yeah. well, why y'all had to ask me that? Um, well, here it goes. My my issue was this. I said I really believe it depends on your church. We have to remember that we are in the age where we do have affirming churches. Yeah, I, I feel like it's anything. It's like a, a organization or it's like a, a, a business or a club or whatever. There are certain rules and standards. So I feel like if you are part of something, you know, we all know there's certain traditions, traditional churches where there's just a certain standard where if if it's not, if you're not X Y Z, you cannot serve in this capacity. Well, if that's the type of church you're ministering at, then I think you should tell them that because that's a part mm-hmm. of your your leadership. That's a part of the expectations. It's just like you know, for some churches, well, it should be all churches. You you shouldn't be in leadership, and you're a person that doesn't pay tithes. Because how can I tell my congregation to pay tithes, and I never pay them, but I'm in leadership? On the other hand, there are other churches where that's not part of their requirement. That's not part of their standards. That's fine. They don't care. So if you're ministering at one of those churches, then I, I don't think you have an obligation to tell them anything because they don't care. It's just, you know, I think it's according to the rules and the standards of wherever you're actually serving. That sounds crazy. <laughs> because, I mean, I knew you everybody got to come oh, in. Me. Everybody going to have to come in, tell us something they done did that week. That's just crazy. That's something you did that week. <laughs> you got to come in. To this week I lied. I had to lie to my husband twice. And then I told my oldest daughter I didn't have no money, but I had two dollars. No, <laughs> I didn't say you anyway, had to go to confessionals. Okay, I didn't say you had to go to confessional, Nate. That ain't what I said. That ain't. But you know what? In all fairness, I think that's true of everything. Because this is one of the issues I had in, in in one of the churches I was formerly a member of. You know, when a girl was pregnant, they would make her stand up in front of the congregation and ask for an apology. Oh, oh, that's, that's different. Now. That's, that's different. 
No, it's That's not. Entertainment. Entertainment. You never made, you never made the boy stand up and ask for an apology. So what exactly. the girl got pregnant for entertainment purposes. <laughs> oh, for air. Okay, thank you, Nate. For entertainment. That ain't right. Why can't we be entertained by the boy that got her pregnant? Oh, I'm it ain't the same. It ain't as oh, okay, funny. Well. <laughs> Nate, everything okay. ain't about comedy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so. You just got me in trouble. That's all. Earlier this this, this week, sorry. I had there was a picture circulating so through Facebook. <laughs> I know you guys remember. Um, oh and no! And I, I posted it in the group. And since then, yes, for did. some reason, a lot of things have been coming across my email, pretty much about this same subject. Um, the picture was a young lady, the um, African American lady, who um, they showed her before and after. After she was absolutely gorgeous. After she had the makeup on, but you know, eventually the makeup comes off, and she was a little less than attractive, well, a lot less than attractive, um, boy, <laughs> in her raw form. Since then, you know, Woo! I've been looking at things on the internet, and the question <laughs> I want to pose to you is: wearing makeup deceitful, and should that make a difference? Um, oh, before I, I hear all of your remarks, I want to read a few of the things from the article that I had been looking through. It's, a, it's written by a very Upset guy who had gotten, I guess, catfished or whatever. The lady was yes, picture, she beautiful, and then you know, not so beautiful when, when he met her. Uh, let's see. Okay, these have some expletives in them. So, but this, but since yeah, this is the is. internet, angry male comment commenters are positively outraged that this woman will lie to them by wearing makeup. Blah 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 blah. blah. It says. Women who wear makeup are the equivalent of men who wear prosthetic muscles under a long sleeve shirt, a la Superman costumes, because Woo. that is definitely a thing that normal humans do on a daily basis. Um, he also said that the girl in the photo is apparently not satisfied with the way she looks without makeup and uses makeup to artificially portray a person more, more people would find attractive. So when I said, I think it is deceitful, men go for looks, and for most looks are an important aspect for your potential partner. And the thing that really got me was women get up every day, and it says one of the first things they do before they leave the house is put on a face that lies to the world. The majority mm. of women even refuse to be seen in public without their liar's face on, and they claim Ooh. men are deceptive. Ha. Are you angry? So my question to you <laughs> is, do you think when you and, and and I look from being in that industry, I look at it as being you take care of yourself. Um, do you think wearing makeup is deceitful? Do you think I know one of our co I'll let her explain mm. it, but oh, do you yeah. think wearing makeup is deceitful? This is Danielle. I wouldn't say wearing makeup is deceitful, but I would say that if you know that when you place it on your face, you look like a very different person. If you're going to engage in a relationship with someone, you need to give them the opportunity to see you both ways because Mm. there's going to be a chance where you ain't going to be able to put your face on and he's going to need to love you without that face. Mm. So I wouldn't say it's deceitful, but you need to be sure when you're in a relationship with someone that they get to see all parts of you. Now, out in the street, I don't want Will to see the bags under my eyes, so I need to do something about that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in a relationship, that's different. Yeah, yeah. Who else? Alicia, what do you say? 
Oh, I was trying to hold my peace and get everybody else ten. Now, see, Danielle, I so agree with everything you said, girl. That was on point. But have you seen that picture? <laughs> Jesus, that was like night and day. I mean, it was so bad. I had to look and go, is that the same woman? So for him, I don't mean, excuse my French, but if I was him, I'd be pissed off too. Because what she did to me was deceitful. And, and okay, Will, Nate, you both are, you know, acclaimed makeup artists, so you know yeah. Yeah. The, the the miracles y'all can perform yeah. with skill and some makeup. I mean, you, we could take you, what, what did Cat Williams say, from nothing to something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it it's beautiful. But she had, like, one of those transformations. Like, I, I'm not saying she was nothing, but, I mean, I, I think, I, I don't know what happened. I mean, we're talking about scarring. We're talking about, you know, to me, the the picture almost looked like you were disfigured. To We took you to that right side. You looked flawless. And for me, I think with anybody to wake up next to you, if all I saw was that made-up face and then I see that, yeah, that's very deceptive. I mean, we're not talking about covering a couple of blemishes. To say I said all that to say this, to me, whatever makes you feel good, mm-hmm. do it. I mean, that's the same thing. People wear shapewear and all of that great mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I take you from a size 20 to a size 8, now that's deceptive. I don't care what you had to do for the transformation. That is deceptive. So like you said, Danielle, that person, if it's going to be a serious relationship, you know, you, you put your best foot forward, you look cute, da-da-da, at some point they're going to have to see the real you. Right. And if it's that dramatic, honey, just let them see it from day one. <laughs> or she could just wake up early in the morning and go put it back on. I just don't understand why she's <laughs> no, deceptive. No, no, no. If you didn't go in to deceive oh, nobody, no. you just went to go put your best foot forward. And it just no, so no. happened you had to use three <laughs> Three bottles of foundation to do it. <laughs> you know what, Nate? I mean, that sounds funny, but from that picture, you really did need three bottles of foundation. To me, that's like a two, three-hour job of makeup. No. No, that do look, she's been doing this for a while. Okay, well, hopefully. Okay. She's mastered that look. Oh, That's wonderful, look, but you ain't getting that in those amazing. 10, 15 minutes, bro. But, hey. Her after looked amazing, not her before. We'll talk to Will taught me if the bar needs painting, you paint it. If the bar okay, needs painting, your bar right. needs that painting, that's what it yeah. means. No. See, that no. was, that don't know your bar need no painting. See, the that problem was your is, bar had to be towed down with a whole brand new sky. Somebody sound that mad. Hey. Hey. There's a lot of anger going on. <laughs> you hear it? I hear it too. Chick, I was she knows what to do with the eyeliner. Somebody is upset that she knows what to do with it. I for the man. I felt sorry for the man. I wanted okay. to do for him. He was right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a female, by the way. But I, I, I okay. understood, bro. <laughs> I understood. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, anybody else want to comment before we move on? Did I, I hear from Liz? It's deceitful. It's, it's deceitful. This is Liz. Uh, <laughs> and I Let say it's go ahead deceitful. Your mind, Liz. Because. I've been in a situation like that where, you know, I go to bed to 
you know, Brenda and wake up to Beyonce. Or I went to bed and wake up to Brenda. You know, wow. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, who are you? Where did you come from? Wow. Which is why I did make the comment. You know, I, I don't. I don't date women who wear makeup, weave, nails. I, I need your natural all the time. I need who Ooh. I'm getting all the time. Oh. Well, then you know how I feel person. about that. You are a brave person. God if bless you. If you can't sew it, grew it. Sure, Siri. It was not me. I know how to spell grow. It was Siri. You know, she's the ignorant one. Oh, he's you know not going to let that go. Okay. No, I can't stop laughing. <laughs> I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Alicia. Yeah. Alicia, our special guest is here. Yes, yes. I you oh Lord Jesus. Uh, I'm gonna pray for y'all. Um, yes, our special guest is here. And an amazing story. Um, you know, it well it's one for me I remember watching on television. Uh the People's Temple, the whole number of survivors that died um on that fateful day, women, children, men. It it was just amazing. Um, so we're going to have or introduce now Laura Johnston Cole, who is actually going to tell us how she survived that day and her experiences as part of that cult. And welcome to the show, Laura. How are you this evening? I'm really good. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for coming on. And, you know, just... Like I was saying earlier, I remember watching the movie on television. So, you know, there's the movie portrayal, but then there's the real life. And it was just amazing. You got those feelings that all of us have when we're searching for God and when we're searching for religion, and you're wondering, how did you go from there to an ending like that? So if you can go back to that point in your life, why did you join People's Temple? You know, I was not looking for religion or faith. I was looking for political action that was going to change the world. I grew up in the 1960s, and while I was in high school and my first three years of college, I watched all the leadership in the United States that I was so proud of and really respected. I watched them all murdered. I saw Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, uh, Bobby Kennedy, John Kennedy, and Medgar Evers was killed. I mean, I saw these people that really were our future, and somehow some bigots and people who wanted to just change the whole course of our history just shot them down in the middle of our in our in our democracy. So when mm-hmm. I um, in 1970, I started thinking out, okay, so. What am I going to do? I am not going to live in a world run by bullies. And so yeah. I didn't come from a religious background, but I came from a point of view that people should be treated decently. And civil rights, it's not just the law. It's the way it's, if they're, you know, God's truth or my truth or everyone's truth. It's like indisputable. So when I was, you know, growing up and living through that, I said, I have to take charge. I cannot be a passive member of this society and not try and change what made that happen. So I started looking around to see what would work for me. Um, I started out, I was working at the welfare department in Connecticut uh, after I dropped out of school to get married. And so I was working there, and they had a, um, a Panther breakfast 
next door to the little uh, welfare department where I worked. And mm-hmm. so I started getting interested in what was going on with them. So for about six months, I just joined up with them. And some of the Panthers lived in my house. We had the meetings in my kitchen. And uh, we tried to see what we could do to remedy a really horrible situation. You know, we had civil rights legislation on the books, but there was racism, profound racism in every part of American society. So I tried working with the Panthers. I was a little over my head. It didn't work out as well for me as I wanted. So after about six months, I kept on my search. I went to Woodstock to see if maybe, you know, free love and drugs would work. That actually never worked for me either. And so about that time, my sister, who lived in the Haight-Ashbury of San Francisco, told me I should get my butt out to California because she was tired of watching me make bad decisions at a distance. So I came out to California, and the very next weekend, she took me up to see Jim Jones and People's Temple in Northern California. She worked in the, the legal field, and so her the attorneys, that I guess she had cried on their shoulders about all my dismal decision-making skills, um, they had told her that Jim Jones had this really wonderful, uh, dynamic, politically active, interracial, non-denominational or religious, whatever you wanted group in Northern California, and it just seemed like it was some place that I would fit right in. So I went up there. They seemed a little pure for me at first because I had already, you know, taken care of a lot of business in in my youth, but um, I eventually, after about five months, did move up to Redwood Valley, and I became a full-fledged member of People's Temple, and so I just loved it. It was, you know, just the political um, atmosphere that I wanted Jim Jones would talk about how he talked to Angela Davis or Cesar Chavez or Dennis Banks. I mean, he, you know, had contact with these people who were my new heroes in trying to fight the injustice I saw all around. So, you know, I joined because I thought he was an articulate, really bright and socialist man. And uh, it seemed to be what I wanted and it seemed like a protected environment. I really thought from day one that he was someone who would be a protector, which is kind mm-hmm. of what I needed at that stage. Mm, okay. So I lived in uh, Northern California. I worked in the welfare department there. I was part of the People's Temple. Uh, I drove a Greyhound bus. I was on the planning commission. I did all kinds of different jobs in California. Um, in about 1974, 75, one of our young members in San Francisco overdosed on heroin. And so we had a meeting of the planning commission and said, you know, we want to protect our children, and yet we can't really protect them when they go to the street corner and they're drugs on the corner. What can we do about it? And so they said, well, let's look around and see if there's some other alternative. And Jim had been to Guyana in the 1960s. He said, you know, one possibility is going to Guyana. It's English-speaking. It's totally mixed, half, um, you know, half black, half East Indian, with a sprinkling of white and Chinese. We would fit right in there, and it's in the tropics. How horrible could that be? So about then, we started planning to go to Guyana and started making investment of, um, you know, we got the property from the government of Guyana, and we went in and we built this really amazing community considering we were there a hot second. You know, we were there. There were 40 people there in 1977 when I moved down 
in March of 1977. And by the end of 1978, in November, when people died, there were a thousand people living in the middle of the rainforest. And it was primitive. But if you look at the pictures, you see, you know, we had five huge dorms, 52 cottages. We had electricity and generators, and we fed a thousand people three times a day. We had all these different things going for us, so we did a massive amount of work. Um, and I think what happened is that we all kept our eyes on what was going on in the community because we were working hard. And behind the scenes, Jim, who had you know, been a con man from early on and had really had a public persona that had fooled us, um, he started hearing things in San Francisco that people, investigators, were looking into different things that had happened in his past. He had been mm-hmm. busted in a sting operation in Los Angeles when he approached a police officer and, I mean, a number of different things. And so in San Francisco, people were beginning to question where he got his power. Why was it that, you know, Rosalind Carter came to San Francisco and met with Jim mm-hmm. for an hour? Or why was it that the mayor or the chief of police or all these people who were elected officials, why was it that they were kowtowing to this man? How did he become a power broker when nobody elected him to anything? He had been appointed to the Housing Commission. So, anyway, people in San Francisco were um, approached by the concerned relatives who had people who had family members in Guyana. And so there started to be this. Um, investigation and research and scrutiny of what was going on with People's Temple. And so Jim knew that, but the rest of us in Guyana, we were really focused on the community and the work. And it took everything we had going to, you know, in the middle of a rainforest to have a group of a 1,000 people. So Mm -hmm. he knew it was coming. When Congressman Ryan was approached and said, you know, can you go and check this out? Concerned relatives wanted him to go down. And two of the people who had left the temple who were in Jim's inner circle encouraged somebody from Congress or somebody in the government to come check it out because they said people were being held against their will. And so Jim really did everything he could to keep Congressman Ryan from San Mateo from going down there. But he wasn't able to pull that off, and Congressman Ryan arrived. I just found out recently that Jim even um, booked the, all the airplanes that would fly from Georgetown out to Jonestown. He booked them for three days so that Congressman Ryan couldn't get transportation. So he did everything he could to keep Congressman Ryan from coming in. But eventually, Congressman Ryan just outstayed Jim's plans. So finally he came in, and he really liked the community, and he said, you know, he could tell by people's faces that they loved it and mm-hmm. that he was impressed with everything that had happened really in a year and a half. That was an amazing amount of work. Stopped the podium and people started passing him notes that they wanted to leave. So it turned out that there were 20 or 25 people out of the 1,000 who wanted to leave with Congressman Ryan and who said that he should not believe anything Jim said. If Jim said, oh, he'd let them leave in two weeks, not to believe it. These people needed to go with Congressman Ryan. And so in a way, that was the, you know, that was when all hell broke loose, really. Because Jim always felt it personally, if anybody had any complaint or criticism, and here he had 25 people leaving, wanting to leave with Congressman Ryan. Most people who were saying, would say out of a thousand people, if you have a thousand people any place, 
you're going to have at least 100 people who want to be someplace else. I mean, mm-hmm. really, 1,000 people. But because these 20 or 25 people wanted to leave with Congressman Ryan, Jim was just completely at a loss. And, of course, mm-hmm. he was already mentally ill. He had this, you know, a personality disorder. He was addicted to the drugs he was taking. He was super paranoid because of the drugs. And so he had all these other things going on. And what he had done is he had so browbeaten or you know, or uh, manipulated the people close to him, no one stood up to him. And I think really that his insanity caught on with the, his secretaries and mistresses who protected him from the rest of the congregation seeing what was going on with him. And so they were infected by what he did. So even the last day when he was almost incoherent, they just followed the instructions he had set out, and they were the ones who, you know, got the poison, made it, passed it out and everything, because he was just sitting at the podium, and it was all on them, and they just followed the instructions he had provided. So, Laura, hi, this is yep. Nate Whitfield. How are you to the, tonight? Hi, I'm really good. Good. So I have a quick question. Um, So you spoke about the changes that Jim Jones went through and what you feel um, drastically changed him. What are some flags, what are the flags that you probably recognize now to determine whether the group was a cult? Um, You know, first of all, I think that in America people do like cults. I mean, sometimes they call them you know, certain religions that tell people not to vote or to vote for certain candidates or vote against different candidates. I mean, and we cult is just short for culture. We have many different smaller cultures within our greater culture. All we can do is train people to realize that everybody has their right to their own culture within the bigger culture. So a cult, you know, I think when I look around or I look in the newspaper or even if I see somebody who's a shooter in a black church, those are all cults that somehow have been malignant like a tumor or cancer. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're surrounded by other cults that are not so uh, evil. But there are a lot of things that go on in this country that control people's minds that are cult-like, even if they're not suicide cults and they're not murdering cults. So cult is something, you know, that in the United States people gravitate towards even gangs or cults. You know, gangs Uh say, okay, come here, and if you live on my block, you're in my gang, and if you want to get out, you're not getting out. And so, so, you know what I mean? So all of those are cults. But there are so for those who may not be as keen on it, what are some warning signs that they can look for? Okay. Um, One is if there's no transition plan. You know, even when you have a family with a mother, father, son, daughter, grandchildren, in a way the grandparents have a plan. Okay, if I die, you get the house or, you know, whatever the plan is. In general, there is a plan of what, for what might come. Jim Jones never had a transition plan of someone taking his leadership. So if you join a group and everything is about the personality of the leader and there's no time or effort spent to say, when I die, I'm going to have this assistant minister step up and be the minister. Even Father Divine, when he died, he passed the mantle on. You know, I mean, right. people pass on leadership. I mean, we have the whole 
in our U.S. government, if something happens to the president, the vice president, steps up, I mean, almost any organization and family would have some kind of leadership plan. Jim's plan was to be the leader, period, or exclamation mark, that's it. So a really obvious flag is that. Another is if he thinks you want to move away into a remote site so that you don't have contact with your loved ones and family members. I mean, we even before we were in Guyana, we were in Redwood Valley, California, which is a very rural kind of remote area two hours north of San Francisco. So Jim really did like the privacy or the secrecy that was allowed in those smaller areas. So, I mean, that's another one, too. If you're going to be in a big public area, there's a lot of safety. There's a safety net around you. You could go to the corner and get help. So if you if the person wants you to be very remote, then, you know, that's a whole a flag in itself. And I'd also say, you know, if you are not able to talk to your relatives freely, so in other words, you couldn't go home and complain, you know, like, this is what happened today in People's Simple, and uh, that was totally discouraged. Jim always said, you know, if you have anything to say, um, say it to me, but don't, don't put out pearls before swine. Don't tell the secrets of people's temple to anyone. We're kind of an elite group of people who are revolutionary to change the world. Don't think that people are going to understand our point of view, so don't even try. Don't share your thoughts with them. And then on top of that, don't question me. I am the leader. So people had no place to go with their complaints or their issues. Nobody, you know, they didn't have a, a forum to say, you know, I think this was like this decision was made too hastily. There was no way to question Jim Jones. He didn't allow it. So, I mean, those are some really obvious ones. Um, the other one is if you don't want to, you know, if you're not allowed to leave, um, that's definitely a flag. When people were in Jonestown, Jim said that it told many, many people, you know, here's what I want you to do. We have a thousand people living in the middle of the rainforest. It's primitive. We want it to get together. Commit to stay here two years. Let's build the whole community. Let's get it together. And at the end of two years, you can go. So with me, I love Jonestown. I loved Guyana. I love the community. I love to see the way it was working. And so for me, I didn't really give it a second thought because I thought, you know what, he brought people down here, they came, and, you know, maybe they should put in some work before they go back. At the time, that's what I thought. Looking back, of course, that's absurd. We're American citizens. We have a right to choose. People chose not to be there. It was within fully within their rights to leave that day and walk out or contact relatives, get money for a ticket, any of those things. But Jim had eliminated all those kind of all of our rights within the group. You couldn't leave until he was ready to let you go. And the people who had more of a sense of things, they actually said, you know, he's not going to ever let anybody go. And uh, at the time, I thought two hours was probably going to, I mean, two years would probably work, and then he'd let people go. But absolutely on reflection, he had no intention of anyone ever leaving. We were going to work there, get it all done, and stay. That was, you know, what he wanted, and that's what he was going to have happen. Hi, Laura. This is Liz. I have a question. Hi. Okay. Um, do you keep in touch with any other survivors? 
Yes, you know, in fact, I, um, I'm in touch with almost all the survivors. They're on my email list, and we set up different events, and I'm doing oral history. So I have nine oral history interviews I've already done that have been transcribed, and pretty soon we'll have them on the Jonestown Institute site, um, both the transcripts and the uh, interview. But the other thing that happened is when I was doing the oral history with these nine people and talking to other people about it, I decided I would really like to go back to Jonestown. When I was in Guyana, I lived in Georgetown the last few weeks. I never got back to Jonestown. And I really felt like I had my goodbyes to say. You know, I felt like I was yanked out, but I didn't really, I wasn't able to close it the way I would like to by saying goodbye and goodbye to my friends who died there. So I sent out to the other survivors if they would like, if anybody else was interested in going back, and 22 people wrote back to me within 24 hours and said they wanted to go back. So now we have a documentary crew, and we're going to go back next March. Pretty amazing. So, you know, about half the survivors I'm in touch with have no interest in going back. They say, you know, been there, done that, and I do not want to revisit but the others do want to go back and have everybody has their own reason for how they think it would help out in the situation. Hi, I can't tell if I'm on. I'm not hearing anything. Hi, Laura. This is Danielle. Hi. Oh, good. Hi. Hey, <laughs> it was so quiet. It was yeah, I was, for I was <laughs> making sure you were finishing your thoughts. I noticed um, that you earlier you were talking about how so many people had passed away um and a few a few people survived. You how did you survive it? What what um, kept you from passing away? So, in Jonestown that day 914 people died. And it just happened that at the end of October of 1978, Jim asked me if I would go back into Georgetown and and work in Georgetown, and so what I did is buy food. I went to the abattoir and got the meat and put it on our boat, and the boat would take a 24-hour trip from Georgetown up into Kaituma and offload and then turn around and come back. And my job in Georgetown was to fill the boat each time with, you know, parts of machinery that had broken down or that we needed to replace and all the food for the community that we couldn't grow in Jonestown. Uh, we had hoped to be self-sufficient in Jonestown, but once we got there, we realized we were going to always have to buy more food in Georgetown. We could not be self-sufficient. So anyway, Jim had sent me into Georgetown in the end of October, and it was right before Ryan, Congressman Ryan's visit. And because it was a 24-hour boat ride each way, go for the day, it's not like flying someplace and mm-hmm. coming back. So I was still in Georgetown. So when Congressman Ryan came into Guyana and went to Jonestown, there was a group of about 50 of us in the Georgetown house, all in one house. The basketball team was there with several of Jim's sons and other people who had doctor's appointments and other kinds of appointments in town and people who were doing the, you know, the relationships with the local government and uh, picking up people from the airport who were flying in. So there were about 50 of us that lived in the house, so we all survived except for four people. And uh, it turned out when everybody was dying in Jonestown, there was a coded message that was sent to Georgetown and San Francisco and Redwood Valley and Los Angeles where we had temples. 
and the coded message was, everybody is dying in Jonestown. It's time for everyone to commit revolutionary suicide. So in Georgetown, the woman who got the message, Sharon Amos, she got the message and she talked to Jim's sons, Stephen and Jimmy, and some of the other um, people in leadership in, the, in Georgetown. And Stephen Jones, who was 19, said, absolutely not. We are not following that instruction. It's all over. We are not doing it. So he told Sharon he wasn't even going to tell people we're not doing it. And he wanted to go back to Jonestown and stop it there, but really by then it was too late. But he stopped it, except for Sharon, because she had been Jim's confidant over the years. And so when she got the message, there was no question in her mind. So she did kill her three children and herself in the Georgetown house. Lord, do you know what was in the juice that they took by chance? I always wondered um, what no, that was. I know it was cyanide, and I don't. I don't okay. really know the details. It, it was a flavor aid that was somehow from, I don't know, Great Britain. I don't know how we got it in Jonestown from Britain, but we had flavor aid and with the cyanide laced in it. Oh, okay. Definitely a powerful story, powerful testimony. Um, that you you happen to not be there. And live to 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 share share the story. Absolutely. No, well, Lord, we I appreciate do... your. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, you can go ahead. Um, you know the reason that I talk about it, you know, I do a lot of events and speaking engagements, and really the reason that I really felt moved to talk about it is. Over the years, everybody knows everything about Jim Jones. You know, they know what he had for breakfast, how he tied his shoelaces, all that. And yet 917 other people died. And it just makes me so angry that we know so much information or the media, you know, newspapers would tell everything about Jim Jones and his life. And yet 917 of the very best people, certainly the best people I've ever met in my life, they were the ones who died, who sacrificed everything. And so one of the reasons I, I want to talk is, you know, I'm kind of like Jim Jones has gotten all the attention when the people who made the greatest sacrifice, who lost their lives and the lives of their loved ones and dearest people, they're the ones who, you know, people make terrible comments like we were sheep led to slaughter or we were passive or things. We were the visionaries of the time. We were people who did not sit back, watch news that got us so depressed we were immobilized. We saw the news and we said, well, we have to change that. What are we going to do to kick some butt and get in there and do something right about this? So they were the people who really wanted to change. I was in an event at the library and a woman asked me if the people who joined People's Temple were kind of the depressed people in our society. Mm. And I said, you know, it's absolutely the opposite. Because even when I'm depressed and I stay out, stay home, you know, with the lights out and the door closed, I mean, that's what depression is. You want to be in a dark area that feels kind of like a turtle shell or something. We were just the opposite. We were out on the front line. We would protest the Fresno Bee or we would protest the closure of of a hotel for seniors or, you know, we would be protesting if we had been around when Katrina happened, we would, have been, we would have been protesting that. We were people who were activists. Every day was spent trying to figure out how to make the world better for our families and our loved ones and our society. So, you know, I really do 
to show, you know, we were not just doofuses. We were not stupid people who were just let off. Jim was a con man. People are conned every day. I mean, made off off with millions and billions of dollars of people who probably had money to go to college and have higher education and have lawyers, and he stole them blind. We also fell for a con man, and especially at the end when Jim was mentally ill and paranoid and addicted to drugs, all that was hidden from us by his mistresses and secretaries. It's not like he went around looking like a dope fiend in the middle of Jonestown and then we were going to take his word. He was polished up before he came in the, you know, into the areas where we were. He was, mm-hmm. you know, kept out of the public areas when he was down for the count. And so it was a group of people who manipulated it so that we never saw that he was completely falling apart and deteriorating. And wow. it wasn't that we were dumb. It was that people pulled the wool over our eyes. And, you know, we see it every day. That's not unique to Jim Jones. Our government has done it. Our, you know, political leaders have done it. States have done it. Um, You know, religious leaders have done it. People have done that over the years. We've seen it over and over. So Jim Jones was not unique. The thing that was unique about Jim Jones is that he said, you know what, no one's going to get any of my glory. I'm going to be famous because I put together Jonestown. Oh, okay, I'm not going to be famous because, you know, there are complaints and I'm not a perfect person. Okay, I'll be infamous. You can blame me for everything, but my name is going to go on the top of the list down in history uh-huh. as being as getting that glory. You know, I mean, yeah. so he would not share it. He didn't care if it was yeah. good or bad. So, that's well, it, you thank know, that's you, Laura, for sharing thing. your story with us. Um, and to our listeners, we really appreciate your testimony today. Is there any way our listeners can stay in contact with you? Yes, you know, I do love questions. I do speaking engagements, and a lot of times people say, you know, this is probably a touchy question. I have heard every question. And really, I want questions. I'm a teacher. I'm a retired teacher. And what I know from teaching is that you always follow the curiosity. If somebody's curious about something, that means that I might be able to give an answer that would clarify it or, or you know, satisfy their curiosity. And that's what I love. That's the whole point of talking about something. It's a very difficult subject. And in many ways, people are self-select who can even stand to hear about it. You know, mm-hmm. not everybody can do it. So if you have curiosity and you have questions, um, I wrote a book, Jonestown Survivor, an insider's look, and that tells, you know, a lot of the details of day-to-day, how I got into People's Temple, um, how I survived, more of the detail of it, what I've done since then, and all of that, why I became a teacher and I'm an activist. You know, I was part of the Occupy movement. I worked with the ACLU and Innocence Project and um, just so many different groups that are trying to make the world better. I didn't give up after people simple. I just said, you know, I can't give up. It's not fixed. Jim Jones took down people's temple, but it didn't make the world better. I have to have some impact on the world. So anyway, yes. so people can buy my book. I have a website, www.jonestownsurvivor.com. I've posted 2,200 pictures up on Flickr.com in a people's temple photo, photo gallery. Um, my book is out in print and audio 
and Kindle and Nook, so you can buy it right off of Amazon. If you want a signed copy, you can get it right off my website, jonestownsurvivor.com, and I'll send you a signed copy. So all of those are available. But I do love questions, and even if you have questions, you can just write it to my website, and I get back to everybody. I mean, I have um, right now, you know, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, I have like five or six different inquiries going on that people want me to answer questions or talk about a certain aspect of people's temple. So I love those questions. I love to get the information out. Okay. Well, we'll definitely let's help you get that information out. And thank you again for being a guest on our show tonight. Thank you so very much. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Well, we'd like to thank our listeners for listening to the show. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but thank you for listening to Let's Face It Radio Station. We'll be back with another show with another topic soon. What's up, y'all? This is John Legend for Life Beat. The music industry fights AIDS. Every hour of every day, two young people between the ages of 13 and 24 are infected with HIV. The AIDS crisis is not over, y'all. Be smart. Use protection. For more information, log on to www.lifebeat.org. Were you born from 1945 to 1965? People born during these years are five times more likely to have hepatitis C, but most people don't know they are infected. So even if you try to eat right, exercise, and take care of yourself, you can still have hepatitis C, a serious liver disease that often has no symptoms. In fact, people can live with hepatitis C for decades without feeling or looking sick. But over time, Hepatitis C can cause serious health problems, including liver damage, liver failure, or even liver cancer. Getting tested is the only way to know if you're infected with hepatitis C. That's why the CDC recommends everyone born from 1945 to 1965 get a blood test for hepatitis C. Treatments are available that can cure this disease. So talk to your doctor about getting tested. It could save your life. A message from the CD. You're listening to Let's Face It, one of the hottest talk radio shows on the web. Are you looking for more exposure for your brand, product, event, or special story? Let's Face It Radio is the place for you. We're also seeking guest experts specializing in sex and relationships, health and wellness, politics, law, spirituality and religion, just to name a few. Looking for low-cost marketing opportunities? We'll look no further. We offer multiple advertising campaigns via website ads or audio commercial opportunities played live during the show. Visit www.letsfaceitradio.com and complete the appropriate contact form for more information. Welcome back to Let's Face It. This is Alicia Brown. You know, I had the privilege of seeing this next amazing talent perform live a couple months ago, and instantly I thought, that is the next Ty Tribbett, or definitely somebody on that level. And then we have to have him on this show. He has an amazing talent and amazing gift, but he also has an amazing testimony. 
Um, so I want you to help us welcome to the show uh, gospel recording artist Pile Price. How are you doing this evening? Hey, what's going on, family? How you doing tonight? We're doing awesome. Actually, it's our yeah, pleasure yeah. to have you on the show. Yeah, my pleasure and, you know, also. All right. Well, you know, there's so many young men and women who, who aspire to get in the music business. What initially right. attracted you? Well, um, I have a really long background of, of music. Um, my parents, of course, they raised me with the old school gospel, you know, the uh, Donnie McCorkins and the, you know, Fred Hammonds and all that. And then, you know, my brothers were into a lot of different genres of music. And uh, what initially tra- attracted me, honestly, was, I was when I was a young man, <laughs> I was kind of just hanging out in the living room and then, uh, Apollo came on, and okay. um, you know there was, was people up there on the stage and they were singing and dancing. I was like, Dad, what are they doing? And he was like, This is the <laughs> Apollo. They're, they're, you know, they're singing for everybody. I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> you know? Oh, okay. So initially, yeah, you know, it was, it was the Apollo, and then of course, you know, the Jackson Five records and all that stuff. And I was like, Dude, I, I want to do this. This young kid is up there dancing and singing. I got to do this. So, right. Yeah. Well, you know, we we talked a little bit about um, some of your, your information about how, you know, as you were going into the music industry and you were having that climb and getting around those major artists, um, right. you, you had an interesting, unique experience. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about that? Well, um, I had a lot of experiences um, with the secular arena in particular. Um, I used to travel back and forth to Atlanta with my good friend, D.P. the Prophet, um, from Alico Records. And um, through him, I got to meet and be around and kind of be in the creative process with, you know, a lot of different uh, major artists, you know, from like Grand Hustle and So So Death and, you know, the, the really major artists that people kind of bat eye at, you know, they're just like, wow, they have mm-hmm. everything. Um, and really, uh, I guess one one uh, situation in particular was I got to go to uh, a really well-known studio with a lot of uh, well-known artists in, um, in Atlanta. And, you know, just kind of being around these guys, uh, you know, as we went into the studio, you know, it was a lot of glitz and glamour and, you mm-hmm. know, platinum plaques on the wall and, you know, the girls and, all the stuff that you would you would probably imagine that you see in like the music videos and all that stuff. Right. But um the reality was a little bit different though. You know, just kinda of being in that um yeah, just kinda of being in that atmosphere. It was really draining and there was a like a overwhelming sense of paranoia. You mm. know, it's yeah, it it's a very unsettling atmosphere. Um you know, of course you know, kind of being around it for the first time, you know, your eyes are wide open, your nose is open, you're like, oh, man, I made it, I'm here. You know, right. but, then, <laughs> but then, you know, when you when you kind of like really get into it and, uh, you know, you listen to the conversations and the actions that happen and, you know, uh, just just to be honest, um, a lot of the people, it's just like, man, this this really can't be the music industry. Like this, this really oh, can't wow. be real. Yeah, yeah. It, because it, I remember it, it there was a... one point. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. 
There, there was one point um, that it, it was said in your um, bio that you actually decided to leave, and, and I that's did. what I want you to tell us a little about because you know you're, you're here now. You're here with the major artists. You're in the studio. Right. You're at that point right. where every musician has dreamed of being. So right. what is right. it that you experienced that was so thought-provoking that you actually decided to walk away? Well, with me, it's a little bit different than a lot of people. Both of my parents were ministers coming up, mm-hmm. and I kind of grew up in the church, and <laughs> I always knew that I had a calling in ministry, right? But mm-hmm. uh, I ran away for a long time. You know, my story is the story of the prodigal child, the one who was raised up in that house that, you know, that was so spiritual and, and things that were, you know, kind of given to me to help me in life. But I ran away from it. Um, and when I ran away from it, I, I fell into, you know, the whole secular arena. But being around it, um, like I was saying before, it was really draining and, uh, you know, kind of being in that whole atmosphere just kind of opened my eyes to the reality of the music industry. But um, this one in particular issue or situation, um, I was down in Atlanta. I was in the studio. And, uh, you know, there was everything that you would, you would think that was in there. And um, pretty much God kind of just, like, made me step to the side. And he kind of just slowed everything around me. And as I was looking around, it was like, you could, you saw right through all the fame. You saw through all of the, the high stature that these people had. And I could see how badly they were hurting and mm. how much they, they just continued to search for something. And, of course, I know now that they just needed Jesus. But mm. um, they just continued to search for something, and there was just this, this sadness and this, like, this never-ending grace that has no finish line. You know, and that's when God started kind of ministering to my heart. And it came in, in like, waves of questions like, what are you doing here? Why are you a part of the problem? Why have you ran so long? Why aren't you, you know, uh, doing something to uplift these people's spirits? Yeah, even the people that, you know, that are in the industry that are high up, they need people to speak to them also. They need people to minister to their hearts also. You can't be afraid of the giants of the land, you know. You know, just like David, you can't be afraid of the giants in the land. So um, God kind of just brought me back, and, you know, I kind of went and had a, a private conversation with myself, and it was just like, man, I can't do this anymore. Um, I'm really a part of the problem. So, uh, you know, after that, ho- that not hotel, but that uh, studio party, um, kind of left Atlanta. As soon as I got home, I fell down to my face and I repented and I was like, God, okay, I'm I'm done running. Um, mm. I'm I'm yours. You know, I'm going to use all of my talents for you. So, okay. really, it was it wasn't like a serious situation in particular that kind of just like, all right, I'm done with this. I'm gone. It was just like, okay, God was like, uh, uh, Saul, your name is Paul. It, it's time to go. Mm. <laughs> you know? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how So, my question is, this is Nathan Whitfield. Um, do you feel that from being a mainstream artist to a mm-hmm. gospel artist, there's a big change as far as success or a loss of opportunities? Absolutely not, man. There, there, There's no loss of opportunity or 
or anything like that or changing success. Um, of course, with the, the secular arena, you have more of, um, I guess, more people praising who you are. You know, they fall out and all that stuff, you know, because you are who you are and all that stuff. But none of that really matters to me at the end of the day. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll take the piece of Jesus over a Jesus piece any day. So, exactly. You know, so it, it's it's not a big loss at all. As, as a matter of fact, you gain more. It's more fulfilling. I have that piece of Jesus, like I said before. So it's like, you know, I actually have something to stand on, and as I'm working for it, it's like I'm like, hey, I'm actually doing something for the world. I'm not just taking away, you know. I'm not just uh, selling this false image of glitz and glam and perfect life, you know, to all these people, all these hurting people and all these hurting youth. It's like I'm actually building people up. So it's, mm-hmm. it's much more fulfilling to me. Much awesome. more fulfilling. Taylor, this is Will Strayhorn. How are you? Doing great, man. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. Very awesome. good story. Awesome. I wanted to know, you were mentioning all of the, the glitz and the glam and the false images that are associated with the secular arena. Did, did you re- face any type of resistance perhaps from your friends or your family, you know, when you made that decision that you wanted to go sing gospel? Um, no, I didn't face any resistance, actually. Uh, like I said, both of my parents are ministers, so they said when they say he's praising God that I actually started listening. <laughs> it turned my life around. Uh, right. but my friends, uh, I didn't face any resistance, but I did kind of uh, fall out of uh, relationships with a few people um, that just, yeah, just they just didn't work out from there. <laughs> but, you know, um, <laughs> Yeah. And moving forward, I just wanted to know, so what is your mission now then? Is it to show other people that, you know, you can sing gospel music? Because I know a lot of the, the singers like the Kiara Shears are showing, they're trying to attract more younger listeners. What is your mission now? You know, what what can we expect to hear from you now in the future? Well, my mission is just to be a shining light in a world full of darkness. And it doesn't matter if it's a young person, an old person, a child or, you know, an elderly person. Um, the word of God is the word of God. And, um, you know, I'm actually coming forth with my music and more than just gospel. Like, if you listen to my music, it's like it's pop, it's contemporary, it's hip-hop. It's, it's so many different genres of music because of my background. My parents also, by the way, they were all military, you know, they were military, so I'm a military brat, and I got to experience <laughs> a lot of different cultures. So, um yeah, my music is all over, and I'm really just trying to reach any demographic of people, period. I don't care who it is. I don't care how old they are. I care how young they are, you know. So I'm just okay. trying to be a shining light. Yep. And, you know, that's what we all should be doing is pursuing our purpose, pursuing our mission, and doing that, being a shining light to other people. Yes, now, ma'am. talking about that, we have your track coming up, The Light Show. Um, right. Or actually, it's the light, which is actually off your CD called the Light Show. But before we play that musical selection, how can people follow you and actually purchase the CD and see you live and just stay in contact with you? Okay. Well, pretty much, I have a website, www.pelleprice.com. That's P-E-L-L-E-P-R-I-C-E.com. And from there, you can find all of my social media links, my YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Um, and, yeah, you can send me emails, uh at gmail.com. 
if you have any questions. My music is uh, it's available on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, pretty much wherever you can find music, you can find it. And also my full-length EP, um, OE Cities, is coming out October 1st. So definitely be looking for that. All right. Uh, just, oh, I'm, I'm really excited about that thing. <laughs> I'm excited about that thing. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I really think it's going to reach a lot of people. Um, the way that we wrote it, um, it's just, yeah, it, it just has that that thing that I, I feel like is just going to grab so many people's attention and kind of just, like, help them to, yeah, just to open up and be the light of the world, just like the things that I'm experiencing with God, I shared mm-hmm. that. And I just really want people to experience the things that I'm that I'm experiencing. And also it's just a beckon call to just, like, shine your light, man, shine your light. This world right. is so dark right now. It needs you know, really positive influences. So, yes. yeah. So without further ado, we're going to play the track, The Light. Thank you so much, Philae. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Have a good evening. All right. Crazy light. Yeah. Tonight is young. Crank up the speakers loud. We're going to up and dance the night away.
All right, you heard it here. And now what we have been waiting for the entire night, we're going to have co-host Shay Malone actually premiere her segment of Authentically You. You know what happened? I was on mute. Mute button. Uh-huh. It's all right, honey. It's all right. I'm not on mute. I had such a great intro, too. I was talking about what a great show we had. I said good evening, oh, girl, everybody. And I forgot to unmute myself. It's all right. This is what happened. So, um, authentically you. I want to talk about this, and it's such a passion for me, because um, the masks that we wear are literally killing us. Yes. So when we look about we look at things like people that are self harming, we talk about alcohol and drugs, we talk about porn addiction, we talk about workaholism. Okay, so those are some of the ways. Um, overeating, emotional eating. We look at the bad habits and we look at the good stuff too, or the stuff that looks good, like um, working really hard, volunteering a lot, um, being the perfect wife, mother, husband, whatever. But a lot of times these are just the distractions and busyness that keeps us from facing and sharing ourselves. So um, this earlier this week I read an article on Medium.com, and he was talking about male suicide in the U.K., and it's currently the leading cause of death in England and Wales between, uh, in between the ages of 20 and 34. The mm-hmm. leading cause of death is suicide. And he talks about the problem of silence and how men aren't engaging in ways where they can really be themselves, where they can really talk about their struggles and their problems and anything deeper than sports and work and the very surface-level things. So that's what happens is that we have these masks and we're able to show bits and pieces of our lives to people without really sharing the heart of who we really are. So um, back in college, my friends and I came up with a term when we were dating, and we would say that the first few dates you were dating the representative, right? So this is who the person wants you to think they are. Uh, But some people never get past that representative. Early in the show when we were talking about makeup, and not wanting to show what we really look like. Some women don't want to show what they really look like because they're ashamed. True. Um, So um, also Facebook, which has been called fake book by some people, because (laughs) you get to show on social media, oh, I have the perfect life, and this is great, and everything's fine, and I'm doing fabulous, and and I will keep it very real. As a new business owner, it's really tempting when people ask me how my business is going. Oh, I'm fantastic. Everything's going just fine. Okay, so anybody who is starting their own business should know better. Please call me on my BS because it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Learning how to um, have more than just, what you love and learning how to do things like the business aspect. When you're starting to build a name for yourself and nobody knows who you are, what you do, and why they should even talk to you. So exactly, that's my that's my real moment. Oh, all right. 
So what is authenticity? It is being honest with ourselves and others. It's saying yes when we mean yes and no when we mean no. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're telling all of our business to everyone. We're not oversharing. Um, but it does mean that we're able to give honesty when it's appropriate. When your coworker asks you for the 11th time if you can finish up that report for them, can you say no to them? Uh-huh. Um, when somebody asks you if you can do that other thing, can you say no? Can you say yes to things? that you really want, are you able to speak up for yourself? So what's very common is that one of two things happens. is either we're unaware of what we want and need or we don't know how to express it. So either you say yes when you mean no or vice versa because you really don't realize that this is a problem for you or because you just don't know how to say it. Exactly. And it starts, see, you know what I'm talking about. It starts, uh, for most of us, it starts in childhood. And what I've seen in my work and my experience, I've, I did counseling and, and teaching. I've been working with families for decades. Um, not too many decades. I'm not quite that old yet, but a couple of decades. <laughs> <laughs> so what a lot of times I see with people is they don't understand that the children that they have have their own unique personality. They have their own personality traits. They have their own, I'm going to use Alicia's favorite word, purpose. Uh-huh. Yes. And parents unwittingly or caregivers unwittingly shut their kids down. Yes. Oh, you're not high. Oh, you don't really want to do that. You're too... Whatever. So you're too loud, you're too shy, you're too quiet, you're too mean, you're not nice, um, or you're too nice. And what it all boils down to as we hear these things is we're not good enough. Mm. I don't know if you guys have heard of Brene Brown. Yes. Yeah. She's doing a lot of work with vulnerability and shame, specifically with women. Um, I like to speak to men and women because I don't think men get the opportunity to voice and to be complex creatures that they are. Right. So. Right. But we all have these same internal needs and feelings and wants because whether you call it biology or by design, we all have these needs to be accepted, to be validated, to be told that we're competent, good enough, things like that. And our self-concept is shaped by others' words and actions towards us. So some questions that you can check in with yourself and you can say, am I being, do I feel accepted and loved just as I am? Um, Some of the things, do you know how to handle a situation where you might have to hurt somebody's feelings? Mm. Have you ever been given the language to explain your internal world, your emotional map? Inside Out was a great movie. I don't know if y'all got to see it. I loved it. Yeah, because I love kids' movies. It was a great movie. I love kids' movies uh-huh. anyway. But it it was great because it really explained not only the different emotions, but my favorite part was 
it gave a purpose for sadness. And so often we're told that our negative emotions are not acceptable. We can't be sad. We can't be disappointed. We can't be frustrated, especially if you're a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know how to open up about that. So I'm just going to wrap up by talking about how we become authentic. How do we learn to be more real, to really keep it 100? Um, and it comes by being in relationship and community where we're accepted and loved. So you cannot, you can't heal by yourself. You can't become more authentic by yourself. It happens with help. And that help can come in many different forms. It can be books. It can be online groups. It can be real-life groups, church, friends, family, um, social organizations, athletic teams, counselors, coaches, family, friends. And And what you're really looking for is people who make you feel like they know you, being known, and you're loved on top of that. And the flip side of that is being people that are safe for other people. So we need to know that we are accepted, but we also need to learn to accept people. Um, When we had Danielle on earlier and she was talking about how she was in a bad place when she first got the script, so she was judging the character in the script. And that's what happens for a lot of us because of our own issues and feelings. We are harsh towards other people. But if we build a culture or build an intention where we're actually committed to caring for other people, being a safe place for people, and committed to ourselves and finding our own safe places, that's how you really keep it 100. Absolutely. Thank you guys for letting me share that. Um, And I really hope that it's something that y'all will think about and take with you because we need to be able to be ourselves, to love ourselves, so that we can really build up ourselves. Great job. Great job, Shay. Yes. Preach! <laughs> oh, Lord. I, would be, I would wonder if one of the biggest reasons that a lot of people aren't living authentically is for fear of rejection. Is that mm-hmm. oh, absolutely. absolutely. And because it doesn't always work with your line of work. Sometimes, depending on your career choice, you can't be as authentic as you like to be. Because right. You, you have to fit you know in why that career People are not authentic because y'all always judging them. <laughs> y'all. You know what? Y'all. Okay. Y'all. I, I don't even think it's that. I think we're in a culture and society where we don't even know what authentic is. Yeah. We've been taught, you know, we're so ingrained on fake, fake, fake. You do this, you mm-hmm. do this. We don't even realize when we're being fake. So the whole authenticity, what does that look like? What is that? What does that feel like? A lot of us just have lost touch with that in so many different areas. So that's true. You know. okay. Yeah. That's true. But I think because we're because 
of the society of Facebook and this persona that everybody is living, you know, you on mm-hmm. Instagram swearing you in mm-hmm. Miami and you at the house sitting on the couch. <laughs> but I think that everybody feels that they have to live up to the hype. That's true. Yes. Nate, that's a good point. Because one of the things that I've always would talk to people when we're talking about abuse and we're talking about how to progress from that is it's okay to say you're not okay. And I don't care exactly. whether that's a, a, a adolescent or I'm dealing with someone in their 90s. It's like you can just hear a sigh go over the room and everyone sort of pauses for a minute like, oh. But we're so ingrained and I have to say I'm fine. I'm okay. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. And everything is falling apart. And, you know, sometimes we don't stop and think, well, who told you you had to say everything was great? Who had to tell, you know, whoever told you you had to say everything was okay? It's just so ingrained in us. You just put on that mask, you put on that smile, you say this or that, and you keep moving and you keep plugging ahead. But at the at what cost? And really, you know, and as Shay was saying, with her work with children, it's costing our kids. Not to exactly. mention what it costs us. Or you it costs say, our kids and our adults. That's what I was going to say. It always comes out. And that's mm-hmm. the other thing. So when you have on that mask, you're really fighting this internal battle, first of all. So you're always anxious. You're always yes. having this war going on inside of you. Well, what if I say the wrong thing? What if they see this? Right. What if they see that? And unless you have an outlet for that, it's going to come out. And it's going to come. Some people, their physical health suffers because of it. Right. And also, you know, just that pressure. And I think in my mission, that's what saddens me the most. I'm seeing children, five, six years old. Yes, they've been through traumatic experiences, but already we're talking about a series of antidepressants. And I'm not saying those things are not good. Of course, you know, medicine helps with certain conditions. But it's like, you know, we're seeing kids younger and younger commit suicide. We're seeing kids younger and younger having to take medications that we typically would associate with adults who have been through certain things. Um, so it's costing our kids, but, you know, how did the kids get that way? Because of the adults that are in charge of them as well. So sometimes just that pressure, if it's not if it's not released, it can actually cost you your life. Hmm. See, I would be um, curious to know, because given all of the facets that go into living authentically and, you know, living in an ever-changing and ever judgmental society mm. do the vast majority of people live what is the word inauthentic or disauthentic or whatever non-authentic yeah. lives because i know for me personally i'm still on the road to living authentic i'm not there yet so i'm not going to fake the funk i'm not there yet I but i wonder if the vast majority of people are in the process of trying to live that type of life i think a lot of i would say the majority of people are living inauthentically because they think that that's what they have to do. Uh-huh. They don't have anybody that they, and this is the thing, you don't have to, like I said, you don't have to be sharing everything with everybody, but you uh-huh. have to have people who see you and know you. And a lot of right. people don't have that person. Right. They don't, They. I talk to, when I talk to my clients, I'm talking to people who have never shared this, their story with anyone else, or they've shared it with one or two other people, but they don't know mm-hmm. how to move forward. Exactly. 
Shame is killing us. It's killing relationships, marriages. It's killing us. And then I think, as you guys were touching on earlier, there's certain areas that we're more conditioned, we're comfortable with being authentic about, and then there's other areas that you just can't be, or you're told you can't be anyway. Yeah, and culture plays a part in that as well. You know, in some cultures, it's not um, appreciated to be authentic and and, and mm-hmm. live in that space because you need to do what's culturally appropriate or you can be shamed. Now, that's another good the point. strong black woman. The that is so true. Well, I would like to say awesome job, Shay. Really good yeah. job. Thank you for giving Maybe. us something to think about in our own lives. Exactly. So, Alicia, what is going on for next week? Whew. Um, awesome, awesome testimony next week. Um, you, you know, we always want to talk about things that people are living with um, that, are, that are certainly just true miracles. And, you know, every day we walk by living miracles and we, we don't even know it. Um, but next week we will have C.J. Hunter, who by all medical expertise should not be alive today. Um, he's going to share his testimony of survival, but what started out to be a simple pain, he, he was going through a lot of pain and went to the doctor's office, went to the hospital. It turned into an ordeal between dialysis, stage wow. 3 cancer, and surgical mishaps, amongst other things, to the point it just spiraled out of control. This man Mm -hmm. had 92 days spent in the hospital. And when you hear each facet of his story, it's just mind-boggling. But it got to the point where his testimony today is that he is cancer-free. So we can't wait to have him on the show next week. And we have co-host Danielle, who will be debuting her segment. And of course, awesome. we can't wait for that. We all need advice on business and branding. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Cannot wait for that. a great show this week. Yes. Wonderful. Does anybody have anything to say to the listeners to prepare them for the week ahead before we say goodbye? Keep it real. No yeah. Keep it real. Keep it 100 Keep it real. authentically. Yes, yes, yes. And well, I always sure like to in. say, it's okay to say that you're not okay. You always don't like have to, to have pretenses. Oh, I do. It's okay to I say you're not okay. okay. Yes, honey. And like, and as I like to say, it's okay to sell block tango. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Nuts, <laughs> All right. Until next week, make sure that you tune in. Have a blessed week, everyone. I'm your host, Will Strayhorn. Alicia Brown. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. We ask that you visit www.letsfaceitradio.com for up-to-date information on future shows, special guests, advertising opportunities, and exciting interactive ways that you can be a part of the show. Join us next week, same time, same place, for real people. Real topics, real talk. Let's face it.
I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> all right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.